Welcome to Season 3 of The Unforgiving 60 with your hosts, Ben Pronk and Tim Curtis. As two ex-SAS guys armed with MBAs, Ben and Tim seek out people leading lives less ordinary and talk with them about how they fill their unforgiving minutes and what helps them go always a little further. Welcome to The Unforgiving 60. I'm Tim Curtis. As always, G'day, Tim. When it's not as always with my co-host, Pim Pronk, because this year, in season three, you've done some episodes without me. They've been really good. (laughs) (laughs) I've I've enjoyed them a lot. Actually, I think one of our highest rating episodes is the one where I didn't say a word. Your um, Mount Hurt expedition with the the band of merry men that you you scaled that peak. Hurt Island in season two, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, welcome to RV28. And in this RV, we're going to close out season three and do a once-over lightly on all those guests and maybe the one or two takeaways that we took... Um, Away. <laughs> <laughs> ...that we took on board. Allow myself to introduce myself. Well, season three started, as did season two with Mick Nevin, albeit in season three, Mick Nevin wasn't repelling the attack of the zombie apocalypse. He was Melonhead. Mm. I've enjoyed both those chats with Mick. Um, unsurprisingly, or maybe surprisingly, he's a, a genuinely funny human. Um, mm. uh, clearly, his, his job as a comedian, that's probably a good characteristic to have, but yeah, it's always been pretty uplifting. I, I think he's a deep thinker as well, and, and I enjoyed talking with him uh, on that Melonhead side of things in terms of, you know, it's a, I guess maybe a somewhat kind of sad genesis to that that sort of nickname, you know, a bit, yeah. of, bit of sort of schoolyard banter and sort of bullying, really. Bullying, yeah, that's right. And, you know, we always – he dominates the stage. You know, we've seen him live a mm. few times. He's funny as funny can be. But interestingly, he's very introverted, you know. Um, we talk a little bit about that in the episode. I, I enjoyed the fact that he can throttle from one to the other. Do you reckon you can change as you go through life? I'm finding myself mm. getting more and more exhausted uh, by people, you know, that introvert characteristic where, you know, you do need to recharge at the end of it, which I know Mick talks about. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Well, you've, you know, we've both been personality tested and I'm fitty-fitty, you know, introvert, mm. extrovert. I nearly sit right in the middle. I love my time with people, but also like my solitude. Whereas you don't, I think the, the truer definition, the more recent definition of introvert is you don't need the engagement with people as much as a true extrovert would. Yeah. You're, you're not drawing your energy from that. No, no, it's interesting. Or, or actually more accurately, I think the research is saying you draw it quicker. Huh. But yeah, no, it, it, it's certainly a good chat with Mick on on that, and and a wonderful, I think, you know, if it even needed to be said, but a, a really good example that introversion doesn't mean you can't do mm. the the big life of the party, centre stage, leadership, you know, motivational sort of stuff. It just means, um, you know, it provides you more with an awareness of of how you're going to respond to that and where you might need to look for energy. Into leadership and political leadership, we then had Jackie Lambie, who I loved her passion. I, I mean, regardless Introvert. of... 
<laughs> mm, well, he's not going to certainly shy away from no. giving her opinion, which I love. I think in modern day politics, regardless of where you sit in your support across the political spectrum, she is one who is absolutely passionate about her causes, you know, the things that she's selected to represent constituents mm. about and over. I love it. I mean, you just don't see that amount of passion too often in, in state and or federal politicians. Yeah, no, I think it's pretty impressive. I've, I've enjoyed all three of our chats, the the two Andrews, Hasty and Lee, um, both very impressive humans, uh, and the chat with Jackie, talking about, I guess, a, a lot of apolitical things, you know, just being a human in that sort of job and standing for something. And uh, I thought she was very candid in terms of uh, how she's learnt from mistakes and how she tries to, to sort of... Um, keep learning as, as she does different things. So, yeah, good chat. And in our work on resilience, we talk a lot about purpose. In fact, the survey uh, results are indicating that in our professional layer that purpose has a significantly important role to play in our professional resilience. Do you think purpose for her, known or unknown, whether she recognises it or not, is playing a key role? Yeah, absolutely. She's, she is definitely driven by something, that's for sure. Mm. Mm. Our next guest uh, in episode three, we've got a whole lot closer to the challenges that he had on the ice, David Knopf, yeah. leading down on the Antarctic continent. Um, through our work more recently uh, in 2021 with the Australian Antarctic Division and preparing station leadership teams to go down and have this community isolation and all of the usual stressors in close confines living. Yeah, I couldn't spell AAD before that interview and I certainly got a great appreciation from that chat with David on on the, the challenges uh, that a station leader in that environment faces. But gee, my admiration for that organisation, the Australian Antarctic Division, has just gone up every time we have an interaction with them. It is such a unique operating environment. I mean, mm -hmm. they're working with NASA yeah. in terms of pre preparing for the Mars mission. That's how mm -hmm. isolated um, the Antarctic environment is, that it serves as a proxy for the kind of things that potential Martian astronauts might go through. But also, I reckon it's unique in terms of uh, drawing people from very disparate backgrounds and trades. You know, any given station might have, you know, a group of plumbers and electricians and meteorologists and, you know, PhD scientists and carpenters and cooks and pilots, you know, this amazing sort of um, diverse group of humans all drawn together, thrown into this really remote and austere environment. And in some stations for, you know, weeks and months on end where they can't get in or out and the sun doesn't shine mm. over winter. Mm. Um, what, what an incredible organisation to, to be able to, to sort of lead and exist and achieve what they do in those kind of um, environments. And often success criteria is not perhaps what we think it might be. You know, it's not always about drilling the million-year ice core. Sometimes success is just maintaining community harmony. Yeah, really interesting. We should do that a bit more around the office. <laughs> just money. Money's the, the, the only metric. The, that's not true. Not the, true. The, how will this make our life better? That's how we measure success in, in this organisation. Hmm. The guy with the coolest title ever written on a business card, Nick Hudson, the chief of push-ups, got into running the push-up challenge, mm. which uh, some of us participated in last year. Mm -hmm. um, 
because of his own struggles with mental health and the impact that that had on his physical health. Yeah, and vice versa. I mean, you know, the the couple of open heart surgeries sort of leading into um, the the mental health. And I think if nothing else, that highlights that brain-body connection. I mean, we, we talk a lot in terms of resilience and I think general well-being that we do need to, to have that physical health to be uh, optimal in those respects. And, and when that gets taken away from you, in, in his case, through really serious um, heart condition, you know, the, the flow on effects that can have onto your mental health. But um, like so many of uh, the amazing guests we've had, Nick's ability to then uh, take his own experiences, learn from them, but then turn them into a platform to help other people uh, has been quite astounding, really. Mm. It was 3,318 push-ups or something last year. It was, mm. it was seemingly crazy, seemingly impossible, but Sure enough, when you break it down into, you know, 100 to 200 to 240 a day, always eminently doable. Yeah. Simon Eastor, a former professional AFL player, drafted at the age of 16, didn't ever play a game for the team he was drafted to, uh, Richmond, uh, then went across to Essendon and went into the wilderness for a little while before finishing up his career on the West Coast. Uh, assistant coach at the West Coast Eagles and now at the Fremantle Footy Club, where he's moved from his assistant coaching role into the head of community. Um, you know, he's really taken great inspiration uh, from the work that Frio are doing in rural and remote communities that are inside their AFL catchment. Yeah, awesome conversation. I was late to that podcast and I think I reflected at the time, you can you can tell that this is going to be a good guy when he's straight into you. and. Without even knowing me, the the banter started with him sort of thanking me for rocking up to my own podcast. Um, But I I thought one of the most, um, I guess, moving uh, parts of that conversation was his reflections on his time in northern Western Australia, in the sort of Pilbara and up into the Kimberley region. And uh, just I think he he sort of used the term that, that, you know, these are third world conditions in in the, the middle of Australia. And just his real passion to use the platform of football, which is so powerful in this state, to be able to to make a difference. We hope to make a difference with them. We've actually applied for a grant with the Purple Hounds Hands Foundation, which is Frio Footy Club's new um, not-for-profit arm, to do some work, leadership, teamwork, resilience in the most challenging parts of Western Australia, to build capacity amongst community leaders from all walks of life, Mm. um, those people that are true talent and the champions of community so that they can collaborate a bit closer. I'm really excited about the possibilities with that work and we'll use football as a Trojan horse. Mm, So am I. I'm also excited in learning more about the Purple Hounds Foundation. (laughs) That that sounds really interesting as well. I say again, Purple Hands (laughs) Foundation. Okay. Not enough. Yeah, exactly. Not enough intellect on this side of the, uh, the bench. Lee Goddard. Rear Admiral Lee Goddard. The pride of the fleet. Oh, the pride of the fleet is him. Um, I actually find myself using a line that he used inside the podcast 
reasonably often. But oh, Tim, really, you're going to admit to knocking off someone's line and claiming it as your own? We wrote a 100,000 <laughs> word book knocking off other people's stuff. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> uh, and he said in the podcast, it's not uh, what you achieve in life, it's how you achieve it. And I really like that. There are so many shortcuts where we could perhaps crawl over our colleagues, our co-workers, our boss, do things in a way that, you know, that, that might be unethical or, or immoral, but the, the sort of way you achieve it's incredibly important. And in fact, in, in this upcoming season, we're going to talk to a Commonwealth gold and Olympic bronze medalist boxer mm-hmm. on, on some very similar themes. You know, the, we, we have a great chat about uh, performance-enhancing drugs. And again, I think that harks back to Lee's comments there. It's, it's not what you achieve, it's, it's how you achieve it. Mm. Everyone's been tuning in. Well, most people have been tuning into SAS Australia. And we had Mark Billy Billingham on the program talking about the way that, uh, you know, reality TV is presenting Um, the SAS and SAS Australia and his history in being a bodyguard and security professional that then transitioned into into television. Good chat with Billy. Yeah, loved it. Super candid. Mm -hmm. Um, I I was really interested in um, the impacts on him personally. Uh, The the British are really red hot on um, uh, the sort of PNG status, persona non grata status for people who who go out and, and sort of uh, go a bit more public with their service, and and we we talked with Billy about that, um, which I thought was a, a really fascinating sort of part of the conversation. U.S. Navy SEAL Pete Nazjak, who served with us in the SAS Regiment on Exchange, and has just written his thesis on on resilience or a twist on it. Um, the resilient shepherds. The resilient shepherd. Yeah, that in an organisation there are certain people that you look to for inspiration when the chips are down, and and you know intuitively I think he's right. Yeah, and I found um, the concepts fascinating, and uh, the the real trick um, that that Pete mentions is, you know, maybe you don't actively call that out. You know, as soon as you you sort of name someone as a resilient shepherd and make it known they're a resilient shepherd, then it almost takes away the mystique. It becomes a formal position. So, for leaders, um, we have a good discussion about it's it's about recognising these people and empowering them and and helping them to to provide that touchstone for resilience for the whole team, but maybe not sort of give them the the big grand title and and maybe keep it as an informal part of the the system rather than a, a formal part of the hierarchy. Mm. Uh, staying on the theme of resilience, a now good friend of ours, Dr. Lee Snodebart, was next talking about resilience and resilient shield methodology. Yeah, Lee has been our, well, is still our academic research partner, PhD psychologist, um, but awesome human being as well. We've really enjoyed the work we've done with Lee and the, I guess, intellectual caliber she's brought to the whole endeavour. Mm, yeah, much smarter than us. And actually has crystallised some fresh opinions in our brain, right? Yeah, 100%. Staying on the theme of resilience, Nico <laughs> Plowman, meditation teacher and the Vedic meditation style. Yeah, just get back a couple of rows in the cinema of, of your life. life. That's, That's a wonderful right. way of, um, of, I think, capturing this whole idea of, of mindfulness that... And, and I like it. He, he talks about, what is the term householder? Mm. So, you know, you can go deep into meditation and become sort of actually, you know, monk-like in your existence. Um, but this idea of us householders, people who are sort of living our lives, you know, what can it mean? And I really like 
on so many levels, that idea of just coming back from the, the screen a, a bit, seeing the bigger picture, noticing some of the, the beautiful things, but also just detaching yourself from the ego and the status and the hype and the importance uh, that we sometimes attribute to what we're doing day to day. Staying on the theme of resilience. <laughs> Are you picking up a theme? <laughs> have, we, have we mentioned we've got a book on resilience? It's, well, it's, it, we're, we're plugging it hard, aren't we? Yeah, don't worry. The next episode, oh, well, the episode after this one, not so much. <laughs> but Dr. Richard Magtengard, psychiatrist, 10 years in the Australian Navy um, as an officer of the watch. Dr. Mudguts. <laughs> yes, that's a, that's a pretty average nickname. <laughs> but we'll, we'll stay with that. I like it. But a pretty amazing human. Yes, absolutely. And the work he's doing, certainly in the veteran space, for those people with post-traumatic stress disorder, has been incredible. Um, I witnessed his transcranial magnetic resonance mm. machine, mm. which enables someone to look at their brain and how it changes with um, you know, magnetic impulse, which is awesome. The, the one thing... I, I was astounded by is that here's this guy who's been through medical school to become a psychiatrist and he um, prescribes meditation, meditation, medication as a last resort. Yeah. That um, there are far better ways for someone to, to you know, undertake treatment and all these alternate therapies he's realising are giving untold benefits it's funny we're watching i think this this arc of evolution um and it's almost like i I was reading a book on endurance sports the other day talking about nutrition used to be out there it was really woo woo and and sort of alternative medicine type thing to to think that nutrition uh would be a a part of your your sort of endurance um uh athletic preparation and and i think we're seeing that as well i think things like meditation, things like non-pharmaceutical interventions into mental health that might have been sort of sidelined as as kind of a bit hippie and a bit out there. The science is starting to back them up and we're starting to see pioneers like uh, Richard bringing them in as the go-to. You know, this is what we should be trying before we start messing up with serotonin and dopamine and, mm-hmm. and all those sort of levels through chemicals. And on that, uh, you know, on that note, he he painted this wonderful picture that, you know, everyone talks about medication and its effect on the body. This is a bit like a aeroplane flight when the plane is in that cruise mode at, at you know, sort of um, at altitude. But no one ever talks about the plane taking off, the challenges it has, mm. or, or coming back down from the altitude. And the beauty of the of the alternate therapies is you don't have the takeoff and landing issues. Mm. And, you know, we, we touched on that chat as well, something that, that I think both of us find quite interesting, you know, we're alternatives to the, the sort of chemicals, different chemicals, things like psilocybin, things like uh, marijuana, things like uh, MDMA as a potential treatment for, for some of these conditions. Um, a, another fascinating area. Sure we can prove our share And as we pre-
Professor have in common. It was Jump, Daddy and Dr. Tom on the Dad to Me podcast. We did two episodes with them. One where we interviewed them and the other one where they interviewed us. Which was better? Uh, I think theirs was far more professional. But we did get to <laughs> test out some Latin. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I enjoyed both those episodes. I'm trying to think. They, they were very different, actually. I, I, you know, we were talking about very similar things, but I thought it was excellent having listened to a couple of their podcasts. It was it was an excellent opportunity to turn the mic back on them, mm. um, and really fascinating sort of backstories. Fascinating what their their drive is, and I think they're doing an amazing thing in terms of uh, helping to facilitate those conversations between parents and their kids. Yeah, yeah, and nice in many ways for us to reflect on our upbringing and the way that we're bringing our kids up too. Like it's not something that we necessarily talk mm. about a lot on the podcast, so a little bit of our personal stories inside the episode with Jump Daddy and Dr. Tom. Our next guest, no stranger <laughs> to us, Dr. Dan Pronk, talking The Resilient Shield. Have you heard of that that book, The Resilient Shield? Did we get a word in edgeways in that, that <laughs> conversation? No, it's... One of the things, and, and you know, you, you said in the um, uh, Dad to Me sort of reciprocal episodes, we got a chance to talk about our upbringing. Um, I feel very blessed to be as close as I am to Dan and having sort of worked with him on the, the book and, and the, the subsequent work with The Resilient Shield uh, has been a joy. It's been great to to sort of reconnect as frequently and, and to, to be working with him. So, yeah, that was a, another really fun chat, but it's always good to get a bit of, a bit of banter in. Yeah, yeah, it's lovely. And, and you know, we're similar because I'm very close with my brother, Simon, albeit, you know, he's on the other side of mm. the continent as well. Be a kind of nice nice to um, to stay in touch and be close to your siblings. We don't need to talk about the resilient shield, do we? <laughs> We've done nothing but. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move on to Christian Boo Bacusis. Yeah. Uh, fighter pilot turned business man. Um, How many fighter pilots have we had? We've had Tim Robbo. Mm-hmm. We've had Boo. Mm-hmm. Is that it? I think that might be it. Oh, I thought there was a couple in there. Anyway. Yeah, but no, great to have Boo on the show. We actually struggled a little bit to get him on, you know, such is the busyness of his life. Mm. Um, and I think we're also doing a reverse episode back onto his podcast at some point. Yeah. But it's got to schedule struggles at the moment. Mm. But it was a good chat, you know, life um, in the Royal Australian Air Force. Matt Hall. Yeah, Matty Hall, uh, you know, Australia's best pilot and the reigning champion. But also, we, we interviewed him. He was the other fighter pilot. Ah, I was thinking. gotcha. Yeah. Well, we did talk about Matty Hall mm. and, and, you know, whether flying is a natural gift or whether it's, you know, something you have to really work at with both Matty mm. and also with, um, with, with Boo. Boo. Yeah, no, good chat. Hamish Blake, double episode with the comedian Hamish Blake, uh, which was cool fun. Uh, that was awesome. It's funny, you know, we did that on video and... Hamish is just so genuine. I, I don't think there's anything you would see on a television show or listen to the a Hamish and Andy podcast where you'd think, oh, that's kind of a bit manufactured. It is just classically what you see is what you get. And you couldn't help but look at Hamish and have a smile on your face through the course of the double episode. Yeah. 
It was a very uplifting conversation and a very enlightening conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, it was cool to see um, how much we were sort of thinking in similar ways in terms of things like parenthood, in terms of things like happiness and success and all these sorts of things. Um, some really good uh, reflections on that. And even just this idea of continued learning. I mean, Hamish reflecting on his... his um, challenge at that stage to to pop a mono to to ride a wheelie on it on his bmx or on his bike so yeah very cool the meaningful challenges mission critical teams was next and this is the one that i was not involved in yeah so harry moffat who's a, a good friend of ours and an, an alum of the the unforgiving 60 podcast uh, does a lot of work with the mcti the mission critical teams institute just spearheaded by an amazing guy called Dr. Preston Klein out of the the Wharton School in the United States. But they do a lot of thinking about, uh, you know, what they call mission critical teams. So these high performance teams where the the outcomes potentially life or death, the the mission really is critical. And um, this was a a really fascinating chat um, on the idea of creativity. And I was uh, the second guest on this uh, alongside Professor Kate Stevens, um, who's got a really fascinating background in terms of human creativity, particularly in the areas of dance and music. And so, yeah, we, we have a bit of a discussion about the relationship between creativity and high-performing teams and, um, you know, whether it's essential to have creativity, whether it's a nice to have, whether sort of high-performance drives creativity or whether creative people tend to gravitate towards high-performing areas but I really um, I think enlightening chat and a lot of science from um, Professor Kate we know how your music is but how's your dance strong (laughs) (laughs) full disclosure it is not in fact we've just found in the office that our one of our televisions on channel 1730 has non-stop karaoke new challenge new year's (laughs) challenge non-stop karaoke (laughs) Uh, Randy Powell talking uh, leadership into the United States of America. A great initiative. Randy gets guests on to, um, yeah, to, to explore leadership and what are the key drivers to leadership and to teamwork and to being resilient. Yeah. Hill was our final guest. In fact, that's not yeah, true. Yeah, we, we were, were her, her guests uh, for season three. Uh, Ali herself is a psychologist and she interviewed us again on components of resilience as we found in our research and in developing the Resilience Shield methodology. Yeah, one of the biggest things I took away from that discussion was how to properly prepare for a podcast. Ali had obviously done her research and awesome questions, you know, went into some really interesting sort of aspects of um, the book and and of resilience in more general. So uh, another really good chat that I enjoyed. Well, by the time the pilot arrived, it was unfair young and old. There was whiskey in the gravy and the cigarettes were cold. And the last thing I remember were my brother's orders. Hold, hold the line, hold the line. 
Um, in closing out the season, a bit of listener feedback, seeing as we haven't done an RV for a little while. Yeah, we love listener feedback. It doesn't matter whether you post it on our socials or send us an email at debrief at unforgiving60.com. Anything and everything is welcome, including if you think we suck. Mm. Shannon Lemansky has reached out through our website. Now, now Shannon's about to do something pretty amazing for Swiss 8. Now, Swiss 8's a mental health charity that are aiming to use veteran lived experience to address this wider issue of mental health, both inside and outside of the community. Um, and if you haven't already, I encourage you to check out their, their website and their tools. They've got some pretty advanced platforms that are actually really usable and super intuitive in terms of uh, providing uh, an ability, a tool, a really active and, and practical tool um, to help look at where you're at in terms of mental health and to, to help sort of get better in, in that area. Now, Shannon notes that in the 20 years that Australia served in Afghanistan that we suffered 41 military casualties and over a similar period, shockingly, 1,273 serving and ex-serving personnel took their own lives. So that's about a, a 31 to 1 ratio of suicides to to actually casualties on the battlefield which is absolutely gutting but Shannon's doing something about it to to help with Swiss 8's work in this space on the 12th of March this year he's going to be conducting the Better at Life Sprint Triathlon as part of the Malulabar Triathlon Festival Mm -hmm. now that in and of itself is pretty impressive but he's taking it to the next level Mm -hmm. he's going to do the 750 metre open water swim in Cairns do you remember doing the 200-metre swim in cams as one of those sort of basic... Horrible. I do remember doing the flotation thing with your cams where you take your pants off, tie knots in yeah, the end and, fill and use them, with them as a flotation device. I don't know that Shannon's going to be doing that, but I do remember trying to swim any distance in, in a camouflage uniform. It's bloody hopeless. And, and yeah. he's going best part of a kilometre mm. in cams. Wearing a sea anchor. Yeah, wearing a, a massive sea anchor. And then jumping on his bike... In body armour, mm. 20k ride in body armour. How do you reckon that would go? Well, is, he riding, is he riding down Rude Irish? <laughs> <laughs> I don't <laughs> Back that international airport to the green zone? Mate, let, let's get with Malula where, where got Shannon's violent, at. Right? He's, he's, he's going above and beyond. He's going That's a little true. further. I don't think it's actually a requirement in the Malula Bar Sprint Triathlon. But, but, but if the enemy do descend and their machine gun nests along there, I reckon he's going to win. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else will get mown down. Yeah, if it's some kind of running man style. <laughs> yeah, that's bloody, right. Well, actually, squid game style event. <laughs> yes. Then it's, yeah, Shannon's in with the chance with his body armour. Body but, armour on a bike? Yeah, that's hardcore. Yeah, um, I've, been, I've been wearing body armour on my bike, just underneath my top. <laughs> <laughs> you've, got, you've got a few days on the man. Um, but in all seriousness, 20k ride in um, body armour and then finishing it off with a 5k run with an 18 kilogram pack. Uh, representing the 18-plus veterans that were lost to suicide just in this last year, 2021. So, Shannon, awesome effort. Um, We're going to link in our show notes to to how people can support. Um, Shannon's got a GoFundMe page, um, and there's more information at Swiss 8. And we'll be supporting from an Unforgiving 60 point of view, but we we certainly encourage um, everyone out there listening to to look into that as well. A, A fantastic effort and a pretty impressive feat. Unbelievable cause too. 
Some more listener feedback, this time from Andrew, who took the time to to write in and, and say, as a relatively new listener to the podcast, he's been relentlessly delving into the back catalogue, which is mm. awesome. Um, really cool to hear that, um, you, and, and I quote from Andrew, that he's got us in his ears riding his bike, mowing the lawn, and in the car. Mm. But um, Andrew's got a pretty interesting story himself. He played professional basketball for about a decade, and he reflects in his email to us on the sort of parallels between basketball and, uh, sorry, professional sport, basketball in his case, and military service in terms of that purpose and the camaraderie. But he also, in particular, wants to, to give a shout out to the, the episode with um, uh, Coco McQuirk, uh, McQuilty Quirk, Coco. Um, he, Andrew just reflects on just how inspiring um, he found it, and certainly we did as well. Yeah, exactly. Uh, not Andrew Gaze, is it? Could be Andrew Gaze. It's not Andrew Gaze. Oh. That still fine, by the way. <laughs> but it's yeah, it is one of the interesting things about the episodes is that everyone seems to take something from an episode. I mean, we get feedback that, oh, you know, I didn't mind that episode, but I love this one, and the reverse is also true when you speak to a different listener. We've also had some feedback that the early episodes of season one are no longer available. We recognise this. It's a problem with the way that the podcast hosts distribute the episodes. If you've got too many, they chop off the early ones. I think that's just on iTunes. Um, If you jump onto Podbeam, um, you can get the full back catalogue. Go to Podbeam. should go to Podbeam. What about Spotify? Does it chop you off on Spotify as well? I don't know. Have we been blacklisted like uh, Joe Rogan? No, we haven't because we're good boys on this <laughs> and podcast. And also no one listens. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, we're also on the um, the Amazon streaming podcast apps. And I think you pretty much find us anywhere. We're, <laughs> we're, we're on the virus. interweb. <laughs> yes. Thank we're you. In the interwebs. Um, more listener feedback, this time from Rachel. Um, just wanted to say thank you for the work you do, not only with the Resilience Shield, but also the podcast. I'm an emergency service worker in WA and had no idea about some of the emergency service specific resources that you guys have discussed. Your work is valuable, and I'm sure I'm one of the many that are appreciative. Well, Rachel, we're super appreciative of, of you writing in and also of the, the work you do. Mm. The more we come into contact with first responders... Yeah. Um, and we had a bit to do with them in our time in uniform, but, uh, you know, the, the sort of trauma that, that um, a lot of first responders are, are exposed to on a daily basis uh, is quite staggering. And, yeah, I certainly take my hat off to you, and I thank you for the work you're doing to keep us safe. And, yeah, in the last year with police, fire and ambulance in small groups and big groups, we recognise that, you know, to your point, Rachel, those resources are really important. Often, you know, let's take one little demographic, the police officer does not want to not go and do their job. And so they mask their feelings, um, their physical state, their mental state in order to continue to function. And, you know, uh, whilst we won't pass a comment necessarily on that, the, the toolkit, the things that are immediately available to you to assist you in just maintaining good, healthy function, um, yeah, if we can make a little contribution to that toolkit, incredible. No, it's wicked. And our final piece of listener feedback is actually a piece of guest feedback. So mm. our good friend Rick Pedley-Smith, who featured on an episode way back in season... Two, I think. Yeah, yes. I think you're on. Yes. Yeah. Good, good Unforgiving 60 history test there. Yes. Um, but Rick uh, runs a, a program called Rite of Passage where he does like absolutely amazing work with 
um, at-risk youth mm-hmm. and uses a physical vector, but a lot of intellectual. You know, he, he uses similar touchstones to us from the the poetry side of things, which I think was a, an initial um, reason for for us making a connection. But Rick um, writes in um, with what is an absolutely heartwarming sort of update on the success of his his program, and I just want to read out some of the stats uh, from the the men. So it's it's a boys program primarily, in fact, exclusively in in um, uh, rite of passage. Um, uh, Rick writes that out of the ten, uh, the original ten who undertook his program, eight have now completed high school and start their HSC exams. Um, eight have now completed high school and into their HSC exams, which. When you look at the the demographic and the the kind of um, uh, sort of background that that some of these kids have is is quite a staggering achievement. Yeah. From there, three of them have secured full time apprenticeships. One has been granted early entry into uni for construction management. Two are, others are both entering uni, looking at finance and law, and one looks like he'll be awarded a contract with an NRL club. One is off suicide watch, so obviously having some some dark times, but is now looking at studying fine art at uni. Um, And one has left school and is chasing a career in in music. So just incredible uh, statistics, but an amazing testimony to the work that Rick's doing with this program. Yeah, and, and, you know, great stuff across mind, body, social, and giving them focus in their professional lives, albeit school. Um, You know, his ability to, to span all of those layers, all of those elements that we talk about of resilience has has been awesome to watch. Yeah, absolutely. And also to provide that that kind of good male human role model Mm -hmm. um, that that might have otherwise been lacking in in some of these guys' lives. Kudos. Season three closing out. I mean, we have definitely done less episodes this season, albeit there's probably mitigating reasons for that with book and other things. Mm. And in fact, when we reflect on 2021, we're probably reflecting on a year where our tempo was more, bigger, greater than it ever has been. And you know, 12 months before that, we think we thought, oh God, it could get no worse. Yeah. But it's been great fun and, and certainly... A special thanks to all of those that have helped us out in Season 3, including the crew at Magic Studios, specifically to Yonko Blum, um, our sound engineer, and our team also that working uh, working from the Resilient Shield through to Metal Global and into the Unforgiving 60 podcasts that keep us afloat and keep us balanced and rational and focused. Yeah, and give us, uh, I guess, the headroom support and space for this project, which, you know, it's a not insignificant uh, I guess amount of time, but gee, it's been rewarding, Tim. I, I think you know we've got so much from the people we've spoken to, from the feedback we've got. So thank you very much to all our listeners who have uh, taken the time to to write in um, into debrief at unforgiving60.com um, and to to sort of 
share their reflections, you know, areas that they found enjoyable or useful, uh, areas that we need to tighten up on, like audio levels and, <laughs> and a few <laughs> other things. Um, but really um, having that interaction and that, that tiny little, I guess, community around the podcast has been awesome. Yeah, it's been fantastic. And, you know, we are on the socials as well at Unforgiving60, Unforgiving60. You'll find us on Facebook, on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and we push some content out on those platforms as well. Also, check out uh, The Resilient Shield on social media while you are there and and give us a follow. You've already uh, had a little spoiler alert here. Is there going to be a season four of the Unforgiving 60 podcast? Yep. There is, and in fact, we've already recorded a few episodes for that. They're just in post-production, mm. which is a fancy way of saying us trying to sort of cobble them together and unmuddle things. Yeah, yeah. Edit out all the bits where I sound like an idiot. Actually, we don't do that, really, do we? I, I don't recall doing too many vanity edits. No, zero. Yeah, zero. But it's interesting. Once you have recorded a few podcasts, you can tell the podcasts that do. I don't know why you would bother why you would worry so much about your R's your thumbs and your butts um, yeah. yeah we probably don't have that level of patience probably not but yeah some, some really good episodes coming up we're looking forward to um, uh, an exciting season 4 and uh, yeah keeping off very shortly so thanks very much for listening to season 3 of the Unforgiving 60 podcast we look forward to seeing you in season 4 see you then turn on my TV set
Now to the debrief. We try to go always a little further in this podcast and greatly appreciate your input. Please let us know your feedback, the good, the bad, or the ugly. Also, if you know someone who is living a life less ordinary, we'd love to hear about them. You can get in touch at debrief at unforgiving60.com. That's debrief at unforgiving60.com. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends and write a review for us on Apple Podcasts. Until next episode, keep filling your unforgiving minutes with 60 seconds worth of distance run. See you next time on the Unforgiving 60.